0: This episode of the Steve Freeman Podcast is brought to you by Performance Inspired Nutrition. Live a more healthy and active lifestyle with the all-natural plant-based products from Performance Inspired Nutrition. Whether you're wanting to lose weight, maintain your weight, get started in the gym, or amp up your existing workouts, Performance Inspired Nutrition has exactly what you need. From whole food daily multivitamins, beauty and collagen support, zinc supplements, diet and energy support with all-natural metabolic enhancement, to whey protein powder, apple cider vinegar pills and the amazing anti-inflammatory turmeric capsules. Performance Inspired Nutrition has you covered. Check out pi-nutrition.com to learn more and enter code steve at checkout and get 10% off your order. Live a more healthy and active lifestyle with the all-natural, plant-based products from Performance Inspired Nutrition at pi-nutrition.com. We're also brought to you by the Artist Development Academy. Artist Development Academy where you can get the information, access, and guidance you need to be successful in the music industry direct from hit songwriters, multi-platinum selling producers, Grammy winners, and label and publishing company executives. All Access members get access to our entire library of online courses like YouTube for Musicians, Monetize Your Music, The Art of Songwriting with C, uh, 5 times, CSAC Songwriter of the Year Reggie Hamm, The Artist Development Masterclass, Machine for Songwriters, and so much more. You'll also get access to our members-only forum where you can post your work for feedback from industry pros and insiders, as well as find new co-writers, collaborators, and build music industry relationships that will help take your career to the next level. You'll also be able to join us for members-only live stream events and webinars to ask questions and connect with our instructors one-on-one. Just for being a loyal listener to this podcast, I'm giving you 30% off. All you have to do is enter code Steve at checkout, and you're immediately going to get 30% off your annual membership. Take advantage of it now. Head over to artistdevelopmentacademy.com, enter code Steve, get 30% off, and join us at the Artist Development Academy at artistdevelopmentacademy.com. It would seem that the world is playing musical chairs with Taylor Swift's masters. We're going to talk about that and we've got a voicemail from a listener, all that and more straight ahead on today's episode of the Steve Freeman podcast. You're listening to the Steve Freeman podcast, the real raw truth about the pursuit of success in music, business and life. Here's your host hit songwriter, multi-platinum selling producer and serial entrepreneur, Steve Freeman. Steve Freeman. Well, happy Friday, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Steve Freeman Podcast. So good to have you here. Don't forget, please leave us a five-star rating and take 60 seconds to leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, just like Blue Cat. He rated us five stars. Listen and be amazed. I do not agree with everything Steve says. You probably won't either because he says a lot of stuff. His mostly music industry focused episodes are where he really shines. Listen to the podcast on October night called Music, Mental Health and Addiction to get a strong feeling for this podcast. You can hear how much he cares about the words and he says the topics he's talking about. He really bears his soul and lets you learn more about him while also learning about yourself in the music industry. Thank you, Steve, for sharing yourself, your insights and your knowledge. Well, thank you, Blue Cat, for leaving us a five star rating and leaving the written review On Apple Podcasts. Please, guys, take 60 seconds, run over there, leave us a five-star rating, leave a written review, and who knows, maybe you'll be featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about Taylor Swift. Now, we talked about this over a year ago, whenever Scooter Braun purchased Big Machine Records for $300 million. Now, just this week, he has sold just Taylor Swift's Masters for $300 million which means that he still owns Big Machine Records and that basically it's a wash. He purchased Big Machine for $300 million. Less than a year later, he sells just Taylor Swift's Masters that he owned, which is basically her first six records. He sold that for $300 million, meaning that he, in essence, bought Big Machine Records for nothing. It was absolutely free. Now, he sold Taylor Swift's Masters to her first six records, to a company called Shamrock uh, Holdings or Shamrock Capital for $300 million. Now, there were reports earlier in the week that it, were, it was more than $300 million, but now we're being told that it actually was uh, $300 million. Now, at the time when he bought Big Machine, Taylor Swift had an absolute problem with it because, look, it, th- this tension runs deep. She hates t- uh, Scooter Braun, and I don't know if Scooter Braun likes her or not by his actions and what he's doing. It would seem that he doesn't really like her that much. Uh, But but kind of here's the here's the deal. Taylor's frustrated again because her side of this she took to social media. She always does. Her side of this is, look, if you wanted to sell my masters, that's cool. Why didn't you give me the opportunity to buy the masters? He obviously does not want Taylor Swift owning her own masters. He likes having that over her head. And. The deal that he entered into with Shamrock, Shamrock actually wanted to approach Taylor Swift and say, hey, we're purchasing your masters from Scooter Braun. We know that they are important to you. We want to work with you. Uh, We want to let you know we're intending to buy the masters and we want to work with you moving forward to make these masters even more valuable and give you a say so in, in, in how they're used and what's going forward. When Scooter Braun found out that Shamrock wanted to reach out to Taylor Swift and her legal team and her team overall to let them know that this this was going to go down, he said absolutely no. Absolutely not. He made them sign an NDA, which prevented them from telling anybody that they were going to be purchasing those masters and said basically the deal is off if you contact Taylor Swift at all and tell her anything about what's going on. Now, why Scooter Braun would not just Call Taylor Swift and go, look, there is bad blood between us. I get it. I want to sell your master's. I've got an offer of $300 million. Can you meet or beat that price? That tells you right there that it's 100,000% personal. It has nothing to do with business. It's personal, and he was not going to give her the opportunity. And furthermore, he didn't even want Shamrock letting her or her team know that they were intending and they were entering into a purchase agreement to purchase her master's. Guys, this is a dirty business. We've talked about this many, many, many times. But, but you see how a lot of the personal stuff comes into play here because Taylor would have bought the Masters. She could have gotten the $300 million together, or she could have possibly entered into a co-ownership deal with Shamrock. She could have put up $150 million. They could have put up $150 million, and she could have co- at least co-owned her Masters. But Scooter Braun wanted absolutely nothing to do with that, and he did not want Taylor Swift having the opportunity to even bid on her masters. I think at some point, somewhere down the road, we might figure out exactly where all this personal animosity comes in. I got to be honest with you. I don't often feel sorry for Taylor Swift, but in this situation, I kind of feel sorry for Taylor Swift because I know what it's like to not own your masters. I know what it's like for somebody else to own your publishing, and then you're not in that publishing deal anymore, and you have no control over what that publishing company is doing with your publishing. Most of the time where the frustration comes in is they aren't doing anything. So you spent all these years being underpaid to write these amazing songs that will sit in a drawer the rest of their life. Now, that is not the case with Taylor Swift. Her, her masters are very valuable. And as a part of this, here's the thing I want to kind of run down some math with you guys. We've talked about this in the past, but I want to hit on it again. When it comes to streaming with Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Tidal, everybody else that that is a streaming music provider. The major labels struck a much different deal with the streaming outlets than us songwriters and publishers got. Much different. They make a buttload on streaming. Tons and tons and tons of money. Now, there's no telling how much over this last year that those masters that, that Scooter Braun owned of Taylor Swift's, how much they earned in streaming royalties. I'm going to tell you it's in the millions. So not only did he buy the entire label for $300 million and then sell her masters for $300 million, making the acquisition and purchase of Big Machine Records basically free, he also netted all of the streaming income for one year off of all of those Taylor Swift masters, which I can tell you again is in the millions. I was working with an artist a few months ago, an A-list artist, We were helping iron some things out and getting some things straight. Part of that process, we found out from the record label that he signed to exactly how much money that they are making on his streaming uh, royalties. And it blew me away. Now, this is an A-list artist. He's had several very, very, very big hits, but it's been a few years since he had a major hit. And it, and it, it blew my mind. To learn what this record label made last year on his streaming rights and streaming royalties from the streaming platforms. So if I even add simple math and I go, let's say that Taylor Swift does 10 times more than this artist, which it's at least 10 times, probably 30, 40, 50 times more, at least. It may even be a thousand percent more. But if I say 10% of what this artist I was working with, on what they their record label made last year having not had a big hit in five, six, seven years. And I multiply that times 10. Scooter Braun made millions of dollars on the streaming royalty rights of Taylor Swift's catalog in just the one year that he owned it. So he basically got Big Machine for free and he netted all of those streaming royalties and then turns around and sells it again for $300 million. Now, where this story is interesting... Is that even though Scooter Braun would not allow Shamrock to reach out to Taylor Swift beforehand and let them know, let her know what their plans were and what they were going to do and that they wanted to work with her. Now that that deal is done, they did reach out to Taylor Swift because the deal's done. They own it. They can do whatever they want. And they reached out to her and her team. They said, look, we've bought your masters. We want to work with you. We want to make you a part of this thing. Uh, how, How can we build a great working relationship with you? for the betterment of your fans and to fully exploit these masters. And she was all for it as she probably would be until she found out that not only did Scooter Braun sell the masters, but he retained a certain percent of ownership. So no matter what happens with those masters from here on, here on out here forward for the, for in perpetuity forever and ever in a day, As long as those masters make money, Scooter Braun will make money as well. And when she found out that Scooter would would continue to profit, she said, I'm sorry, I, I cannot work with you as long as Scooter Braun profits in any way whatsoever from the exploitation of these masters. And I get it, I understand. But you can see how personal and business get so mixed up that. Nobody really benefits. Now, Taylor is in the process of re-recording all six of her first six records. She's recording, re-recording every single one of them. And listen, she's got the money to do it. It's, it's no big deal to her. But listen, listen, producing a record and making a record is, is a long process to do it right, which you know she's going to do it right. It takes time. It takes effort. Is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. And I'm sure she would have rather been able to have a partnership and a great working relationship with somebody like Shamrock that owns those masters. than to have to go in and re-record them so that she owns them, because let's face it, you can go in and recreate something, but it's not the original. And I don't care what anybody says, you'll never capture the magic of what was captured in those rooms. I've been a part of that. I've had major artists come to me and say, hey. Um, I'm, I'm out of my contract. I'm out of my non-compete or whatever they call it these days. And I can actually, that my, my rights have reverted back to me and I'm free to go in and record. Most of the time when they do that, they go in. Most of those artists have had two, three, four, five big hits in their career. And they go back in the studio and they re-record those hits. Not every single song they ever recorded. So that hopefully they can, put those, they can re-release those songs and, are, and, and the fans and public will, will buy those instead of the earlier versions. But even though I've been a part of that process, I can tell you we, we can replicate those almost to a T to where you might not even be able to tell the difference. But there is a feeling in the room when you're creating something. It's a different feeling in the room when you're recreating something. When you're first in the studio and you're producing a record, that's where the magic happens. Very rarely does that magic ever strike again and happen again when you're reproducing something. Because it's not so much art at that point, you're just trying to reproduce something and replicate something. It's almost impossible to recreate that feeling of what it was like in that room creating that on the spot. So I'm not saying that, that Taylor Swift's efforts are, are, are a waste of time. It's very important for her to have her versions of those songs out that she owns, and I get it. For her, it's going to cost peanuts to do. But it would have been much cheaper and, and much more effective for her to be able to work with the new owners of her catalog and have a great working relationship with them instead of having to go in and try to re-record all six of these records. Guys... I wanted to talk about this today because I think it's so important. So many of you are out there and you are trying your best. You're doing the sacrifice. You're putting in the persistence, the consistency, and the sacrifice. And master's ownership is important. Publishing is important. And and I don't want you guys to give away the farm. I also think it's important that you think about personal relationships and how you conduct yourself on both sides of the fence. I mean, look at what a personal dispute is causing in the business world. There's been, over all, there's been over half a billion dollars exchanged within the last year over Taylor Swift's Masters. Almost a billion dollars. And all of it because of a personal dispute between two people. So not only do you have the responsibility of making sure you're writing great songs, you're putting out great music, you're doing everything that you need to do to acquire your audience and build a fan base. But you also have to make sure that you're building solid relationships and good relationships, even personal relationships with people in the process. I can promise you that Taylor Swift, never in a million years back many, many years ago when she was recording her debut album or any of the first six albums that she put out, thought she would ever be in this position. But look what it's cost her. Make sure that you build solid personal and professional relationships. It's going to be anxious, interesting to see what goes on from here. Like I said, she is currently in the studio and she is re-recording all six of her first six records. So I, I hope that it works out for everybody. You got it. Not that I'm a big Scooter Braun fan, but you, you got to give the guy a round of applause. I mean, he bought the entire label for $300 million. A year later, sells just Taylor Swift's masters for the same amount of money, made millions in the process on her streaming rights royalties over the year, and still owns a piece of the old catalog. So that as those move forward in perpetuity and continue to earn money, he'll continue to earn even more money, all in the process, uh, allowing Taylor Swift to be completely eliminated from the process. Smart. You may think the guy's an asshole, but it's smart. All right, I've told you guys many times, if you have a question that you ever want to ask me, it's very simple to do. You can leave me a voicemail. All you have to do is go to thestevefreeman.com, scroll about midway down the page. There's a section there that says leave me a voicemail. You can ask me a question, leave me a comment. We've got one of those I want to feature today. And today's question comes from Linda Mall.
1: Hi, Steve. This is Linda. I'm sending you good energy from Spain. I hope you're well and safe during these crazy, crazy times. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your podcast. I love listening to you. I'm really happy I discovered you um, during my, well, I'm releasing some music for the first time. I've been a backup singer or singing for the past 10 years. And now I'm finally coming out as an artist. Um, And Finding your podcast has been kind of like a checklist for me, just going through all the things you're talking about and recognizing everything you're talking about and going, yep, done that. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Um, And then this latest episode about the song competitions had me like, oh, I'm one of those people. Um, No, but I actually did um, do my research and made sure that, um, you know, this is just you know, an an extra thing to, you know, towards the efforts into becoming, um, a singer or becoming, um, my own, or becoming an artist. So my question is these singing competitions, these song competitions, um, are they, or have you heard of any instances where, Um, And people who've sent in their songs have had songs stolen or ideas stolen from them. Um, That is my main worry right now because I'm releasing music and I've sent them some of the music I'm releasing.
0: Thank you, Linda. Great question. Um, I've I've made no bones whatsoever about the fact that I do not like songwriting competitions. Um, I don't like uh, singer reality shows, competition shows. I don't like songwriting. I don't like any of that. What I can tell you is that it's important to read the fine print. And on a lot of these competitions, a lot of these songwriting deals and all that, it, read the fine print. I, I don't know which one in particular that you're talking about, but I will tell you as a general rule, most of the time there is, there is small print in there somewhere. And I know this to be the case with American Idol and The Voice and that other stupid song town, whatever it is on, on NBC, that the music that you submit to them, Many cases, they take a piece of the ownership of the song to give them permission to exploit the song. In some cases, they take it all. In, in cases like American Idol and those, you are signing over the rights to those songs for them to exploit them out to the public because they're not interested in giving you a platform. Let, let's make that first and foremost. Even like we talked about the, the, the songwriting competition we talked about in the last episode, that is all about getting 50,000 people to pay $15 entry fee. That's what it's about. It's not about helping songwriters. It's, it has nothing to do with that. American Idol, The Voice, uh, Songtown, none of those. None of it is about finding talent. It's about advertising dollars. So the last thing in the world they want to do is feature your music on their show for the betterment of you. They don't care. They want to own that so that when it sells, they make the money. They are advertising for themselves. None of those shows, none of those competitions, none of them exist to help you, to better you, to make you money. The entire purpose of all of that is to sell ad dollars, to get eyeballs, get viewers so they can charge more money for advertising. So beware. The fine print in this stuff is there. And you know, you, this even goes down to, to contracts. And the number of times that I've had artists come to me and say, Steve, will you, you, know, will you read over my publishing deal? I'm not happy. Will you read over my record deal? I, I don't think this is working out. Let me tell you something that I have found to be the case every single time. They are very upfront about how exactly they're going to screw you. And it's in the fine print or it's worded in ways that you don't understand. That's done purposefully. They are interested, especially where there is money involved, they are interested in them making money so much more so than you making money. That's why first-time publishing deals in Nashville, I tell you, you're going to make twelve grand a year. You're going to live below the poverty line to get a publishing deal in Nashville. That's why every waiter that you find has a publishing deal. Everybody's got a real job, and their publishing deal is their side hustle because they don't pay anything. The growth and room for revenue earning is so much more on the publisher side, on the label side. What I often find, though, is when these artists come to me and they want me to review their contracts, I usually always say first, well, what did the lawyer, what did your lawyer say? And inevitable. Every single time. Well, I I didn't really hire a lawyer. I just kind of read through it myself. Worst mistake you could ever make. Guys, the $250, $300, it's going to cost you to go in for an hour and let a a real legitimate attorney read your contract and give you some advice, the better off you're going to be. It will save you all the heartache on the back end because they understand that legal language that you don't understand, and they're going to break it down for you, and they're going to tell you, look, here's what they're saying. What most of the time happens is they tell you this is not a good deal, but that is not what you, the songwriter or you, the artist, want to hear. All you want to hear is I sign this contract and I've got a record deal or I've got a publishing deal and I've got to have those things to have hits and I've got to have those things to have a career. So you're willing to sign anything and everything to get to that point. When very few of you actually will get to that point, even though you do have a record deal, even though you do. Have a publishing deal. It's all right there in the fine print. It's all in the language. I've never seen a record label or a publishing company go back in after you've signed something in ad language fraudulently or illegally to trap you into some sort of contract. They prey on your dreams and they prey on your goals and your aspirations, your desires to be successful. They tell you in these contracts exactly how they're going to screw you. So, five years down the road, when you're not happy, I have, I have no sympathy for you whatsoever because you jumped so quickly. You didn't take the time to really read the contract. You didn't hire a lawyer to read the contract and tell you exactly what it means and what it means today, what it's going to mean in two years from now, and what it's going to mean 15, 20, 30 years from now. I'm always blown away at the number of writers who get out of their, finally get out of their publishing deals that they weren't happy with, and they think they get all of those rights back. When if you read the contract or a lawyer read the contract, there may be a reversions clause in there, but it's years and years and years and years down the line, and it's only if you recoup your contract fully, which means you have to have songs that have generated enough revenue to cover the costs of the publishing company. Or the record label, which very rarely happens. Very rarely. It, it, is, it is structured in such a way that you will never recoup. And you have, to be so, you have to be the top one half of 1% of successful artists to ever recoup your catalog. That's what it takes. So, Linda, thank you for the question. I'm not a big fan of the contest. I'm not a big fan of the, the TV shows, the reality shows, the contest shows. I'm just not. It, very rarely. Does it work out to the songwriter or the artist's benefit? But it always works out to the network's benefit, to the publishing company's benefit, to the record label's benefit. You just got to realize which side of that exchange you want to be on. And always read the fine print. Guys, thank you for joining me for another episode. I hope all of you have a great weekend. We'll be back here bright and early on Monday. I know a lot of people are making plans for Thanksgiving. Just be safe. Be careful. We see these mandates coming down from states all over the country where they don't want you to get together for Thanksgiving and they don't want you to do this, don't want you to do that. And I get it. I go back and forth. It's like, you want to be safe. Nobody wants to get the virus. But you know what? There was some good news earlier this week. Pfizer came out saying that their new vaccine is 95% effective. Who knows? Maybe we won't be going through this next Thanksgiving. But for this Thanksgiving... I hope you're able to see your family. I hope you're able to safely gather together and 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 really enjoy the holidays and be thankful because that's what it's about. Anyway, hope you guys have a great weekend until Monday. Keep being creative. Keep pressing the boundaries. And there's nothing wrong with being independent. See you Monday. This is the Steve Freeman Podcast.